welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful have been handed down for generations. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, we preserve the ag heritage and traditions we built our identity on while pursuing the American dream of multi-generation farms that innovate for the future. Listen along as we share stories of how farmers and ranchers are building legacies, both in their business and their character, for the sake of those they'll pass the reins to. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to talk with you about the financial, generational, and production challenges facing producers in the ag industry today. This podcast is brought to you by Back Pocket Social Marketing. And yes, this is Lexi here. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. All the time that goes into interviewing guests, editing, and producing the show is sponsored by my freelance marketing agency. We specialize in website design, social media advertising, content creation and management, and email marketing. If you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing and figure out exactly what's working for you and what's not, and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at Lexi at BackPocketSocial.com. We would love to help you solve your marketing challenges. Welcome back to the Farming on Purpose podcast. Today, I have Tara here of Everest Acres, and I'm so excited to be talking with her about some topics I'm very interested in, and I think a lot of you guys are too. So I'm going to take just a second here and let Tara introduce herself, tell us a little bit about her homesteading journey. Hey, everybody. It's Tara here. Um, We are a small homesteading family here in the heart of Utah, and uh, we just... We absolutely love this lifestyle and have only recently gotten back into it or into it in the last few years. But we currently have our dairy cows, Helen and Ruth, um, who we sell our raw milk from. And we also raise pasture-raised chickens as well. And just kind of the whole gamut. Um, but mostly so far, we've been really concentrating and focusing on our raw milk and things like that. So I don't know if you want to know anything else. Yeah, kind of how did you get started? And you said you kind of came back to this after a break. How? What did that look like for you guys? So, okay, so let me just start from the beginning. So I grew up in, you know, on the farm, we raised Black Angus cattle, purebred. Um, my mom raised registered mini Aussies. So the farm life has always been in my blood, you know, 4-H as a kid. I did a few years of FFA. Don't know that I necessarily paid attention very much, <laughs> but, um, you know, I... After high school, I decided to go travel and was able to do that through work. I was a kind of a caretaker and we traveled all over the world. But what I mean by a break is I kind of left agriculture for a few years to go pursue all of those kind of dreams like you would after high school type thing. Mm -hmm. So in that, after that, we, I became a firefighter ENT and met my husband doing that. And in 2017, we decided to move back down to our, my hometown, um, where we kind of did our little homesteading thing. We had a milk cow named Daisy and she ended up being a little bit of a, I I don't, I call her a dud, but she was a sweetheart. We absolutely loved her and got our chickens. We got a million ducks. Ducks are a little crazy. They, they went wild. So we, we stopped doing that, but, um, 
we, in 2020, when all of everything happened, we were getting ready to have our first son who we never thought we would have and went to the store to find like formula and diapers and everything was just gone. Nothing. And I'm sure a lot of people have experienced this. There's just nothing there. And it helped us realize how much we depended on other people for basic, basic needs, you know, food, eggs, everything like we're kind of experiencing now with eggs and things mm-hmm. like that. So it kind of put a burr under our bum and, you know, we then got Daisy and a bunch more chickens. We already had some chickens, but then we decided, you know, Rick, we need a little bit more space. So we decided to start looking for a little bit more space for us because at that time we were living in a tiny little house that we'd renovated on my parents' farm. Okay. You know, it was my grandparents and they had recently passed. So we're like, I know there's a lot of space here on dad's farm, but we really want to kind of do our own thing. And so we found there's an older lady that was moving away and we actually went and approached her beforehand they ever put it on the market and found a little two acre piece of property that had been in our family actually years before. Oh, cool. And my grandparents had sold it to this couple that had lived here for 20 some years. And then we were able to purchase it back. So it's kind of fun. We just started with a single Quonset hut. So it's just a metal building and the house that sits on the property and have built it since there were some corrals here that were built by my dad back when my mom and him were first married so that's kind of fun to be able to see all that I mean yeah. we there, but <laughs> <laughs> so we we really didn't start out with the intention of of doing anything business-wise it was more self-sustainable type thing you know we wanted to be able to provide for ourselves mm-hmm. and for our families and that's what led us to getting a milk cow a milk cow is so incredibly diverse in what they can provide for you and your family. I mean, you know, I watched a video of yours. You were doing like sour cream, all mayo, all the whole nine. And that was what really drove us to get a milk cow. And it just kind of leaked into other areas. You know, with a milk cow, you have the ability to do all that, but they're at times excess, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have excess milk. You're not going to be able to drink, you know, 30 gallons a week by yourself. Um, And that's where we ended up getting pigs. We ended up getting the chickens. We ended up doing all this just to feed everybody. And it just kind of has formed into this thing now where we mostly are focusing on our pasture-raised chicken and our raw milk and now providing it for a lot of different families in our local community. And it's been really a fun process. and stressful, (laughs) but it's been a wonderful journey and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It's taught me so much about myself that I would have never learned just kind of doing what we were doing before. And that was just living and just taking the easy road really. So that is so cool. Such a cool story. I love to hear how people get started and like the fact that you guys have history on the land that you're on now is that's so neat. So neat. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. I I just sit here and think about under these trees. We used to play, you know, the card game war and go fish. Yeah, under all these trees. So it's so fun to sit and reminisce and think about, you know, building. There were old shell, you know, old bit buildings here and sheds and just playing out there. So it's kind of fun. It's just fun to be able to be back here on the property, have it in the family still, and yeah. Yeah. So you kind of started out with chickens, and then the next 
really big step was the milk cow. So tell me a little bit more about Daisy and then how that went. And then Ruth and what's the other one? Helen. Helen. Yes. I keep thinking Martha, but that's the calf, right? That's Martha is our calf. Helen's calf. Yep. Okay. So Daisy, I mean, I was really reluctant to get a milk cow because I knew I was going to be the one milking it day and night. And my parents had had a milk cow, several milk cows when they were first married. And I didn't really know that. And they had a lot of the stuff still that they had back from milking and they had the whole set. Um, and my mom had, you know, they were really excited about it. my dad loves the raw milk. So we got Daisy from just an old, you know, farm couple that were getting rid of it. Now, looking back, we didn't really know. I didn't do the research I should have. And that's something that a lot of people, if you're going to get a milk cow is to make sure you do your research on what to look for when you're buying a milk cow. Mm-hmm. Um, but she ended up having a lot of issues. So we milked her for that first year and really just ended up feeding it to the calves. And, you know, we didn't do a whole lot with it. And it almost put a bad taste in my mouth. Like, I don't want to do this again. And I was really reluctant to get a milk cow the second time. Like it was hard for me to get over the fact that I would have to be getting up 5 a.m., or whatever time, really, just yeah. in the morning and at night. You know, our dream was to travel to go see the world, but 2020 really threw a fork in that. And so we're just like, you know what, let's do it. Let's just get our second cow. Let's, you know, after we had, Daisy was still just at our parents, my parents' farm, just kind of living her best life out in the pasture. And so we ended up deciding to get Helen and we did a lot of like looking and figuring out like, okay, what are the actual key components that we need to find a milk cow that's really going to last. She's not going to, you know, get sick or anything. Anyway, we ended up finding this older gentleman that had a smaller dairy that he's just kind of letting a friend milk his cows. And he taught us a lot and we brought Helen home and that's kind of where it all started. I didn't really like the thought of raw milk. I didn't, you know, it's just kind of a crazy evolution going from can't stand the thought of drinking milk straight from a cow just tasting it just seems weird and foreign to a lot of people and Uh now it's not as foreign but once you take control and like milk it yourself and you're like man I did this it really changes your whole perspective on on it I don't know how else to describe that but so Helen we we milked in our Quonset hut which is just a metal you know you know the round metal Mm -hmm. building there with just our little surge bucket milker that somebody had adapted and it just really struggled. So we, it kind of spurred us, kicked us in the butt again. And we're like, you know what, we're not doing this next year. We're going to, we're going to just build a building for milking. If we're going to do this, we're going to do this. We're not going to just mess around and we love it. We, you know, if this is something we're going to do, we're going to do it. So that's where our barn came into play. And I don't know if you want to get into this or not, or if we're on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know more about like kind of what the things you looked at when you found Helen, like what made her the right fit for you guys? Um, Like, like you said, people should research what, what is best. Um, And then I want to hear more about, um, oh, you mentioned it. I had so many questions in my head as you were talking. (laughs) No, you're good. Um, yeah, st- well, we can start there. What, what, um, what was the right things that made Helen the right fit for you guys? So when you're looking, what made, well, Helen was, it ended up, we just went to look at her and as we were looking at her, you know, we had had 
Daisy who had ended up getting mastitis and a bunch of different things. And that was due to a lack of our, me knowing really what to do. So just when you're looking for a dairy care, there's, there's certain things like with the udder that you want to make sure you look for, whether it's, you know, there's a ligament down the udder that is what attaches the udder to the cow and makes sure that she's not, you know, dropping that entire udder once she gets older and things like that, because they produce more milk as they get older. So that, and just, I mean, if you're just looking for a family milk cow, it's not too crazy. You just want to make sure they have good health. You want to make sure they've got a good looking udder and good looking teats that aren't, you know, tra- have had trauma or anything like that. And we knew a little bit of that when we went and looked at Helen and it just ended up feeling really right. Um, the So it ended, up, it ended up turning out good. We still didn't know as much then, but it ended up turning out good. And Helen's been an amazing cow and producer for us. But when we went to look for Ruth, we knew a little bit more. We've done a lot more research in that. And that's just, you want to make sure the cow is disease-free. You want to make sure that cow's udder looks good and healthy. You want to, you know, those are things that I think people ought to research if that's something they're looking into getting a milk cow so that they aren't clueless like me when we first started. And, you know, ultimately, Daisy, I feel like, I hate saying this, but she was a learning curve that was necessary. And she got the, you know, the short end of the stick on that. And I feel awful about that, but that's where, you know, we take and learn from it and Mm -hmm. really look. So anyway, those are just a couple things that I would look for. If you're looking for a milk cow, Um, I'm sure a lot of people have different opinions on what they would look for, but those are, you know, udder is first and foremost, if you're, you want to make sure that cow's got a good udder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you guys did a lot of things like the hard way, for lack of a better term, of, you know, milking Daisy and not really getting any milk for yourselves. So you weren't like seeing the benefit of that. And then, you know, using kind of renovated equipment and a not perfect setup. So how did you kind of overcome that to keep going? And then, like you said, kind of build the barn and get where you're, where you're at now or where you more recently were. (laughs) Yes. So a lot of uh, personal development. (laughs) (laughs) Character development, right? Character. Yes, it is definitely character building. We, I, you know, we for sure, I for sure thought never again would we have a milk cow after Daisy. Like it literally almost ruined me for the whole thing. But luckily my husband was pretty persistent in like, Tara, I really feel like we need to get another cow. Like it, I really feel that we need to get another cow because you just, the world was going crazy and we just, you kind of have to listen to your, your instincts. And it just was like, okay, well, let's, let's give it one more go. And if in the end, it just doesn't work out, you know, like I struggled getting up in the morning, like really a lot of depression that was happening. And that's something that people have to realize, you know, if you are to get one, there's a lot of mental toughness that has to go into it because you do get up in the morning every single day. And, but coming back to it is like, if she doesn't end up working, we'll just sell her to some, you know, somebody else that wants to have a milk cow. And that was kind of our... Like, okay, this is our deal. If she doesn't work, we'll get rid of her. Yeah. And that might be the wrong way to go about it. But that was kind of where we were at. So we found Helen, got her, and started milking. And there were a lot of tough days that I was like, I'm done. I am so done. So done. Mm-hmm. But 
as time went on and we started sharing it with other people and how much they loved it and would appreciate it, it really kind of sparked the fire in my, you know, like just the desire to be able to provide that for other people really kept me going. And as strange as it is, as social media did as well and support from other people kind of hyping you up. I know that sounds a little corny, but just being able to share that like enjoyment and, and something unique that not a lot of people get to see in 2023 and nowadays, probably more than you realize, but that, that kept me going at least. And I know that Trevor was the same as well. Maybe not so much the social media aspect of it, but just being able to provide for others, such a versatile product. Mm-hmm. So and I don't know if that makes sense. Trevor is your husband. Yes. Trevor is my husband. He (laughs) is currently watching our son. Last time we attempted this with our son and it didn't work out too well. (laughs) Been there, been there. I tried to do a live video with one of my kids homesick one time. It did not go well. (laughs) No, it's uh, yeah, it's not fun. So he took him for the day. So Trevor is my husband. He is a firefighter and also stays here on the farm with us and helps milk the cow and cows now. Yeah. So, okay. Um, Maybe this is a good time before we dive into like the barn building story um, and how that's been going. And then the new addition of Ruth, how has the just like you, the time management and the role management between you and your husband gone? Um, like you said, you struggled with getting up early. How have you kind of figured out how to make that fit in your day? Or do you have any recommendations for people who are thinking about that? How do they go about making it all work? So one of the biggest thing is when we first started, it's not as hard anymore. I, I actually look forward to getting up and milking and it's changed over time. And, but when we first started, it was kind of like, okay, you get to sleep in today. I'll get tomorrow. Or, mm-hmm. you know, he'll do the first two days when he's home from work. It's really the biggest thing is if you're going to be doing it, going into it with a spouse or a partner or somebody like that is to set down, set, set down and write out like a schedule. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because there is a lot of like, we want to make sure it's equal. I, and that sounds silly, but that each person is putting in equal effort into this venture because we both agreed upon it. Um, we also, when we first started, we're milking later in the morning and it kind of, by the time we we're finished, it was nine o'clock in the morning. And that really kind of made our day struggle. Mm-hmm. And so one, another thing we sat down after a few months of milking is reevaluated how things were going. And really it's kind of, we just each take our part in it. Like if I'm milking, he'll go do the rest of the chores so that we can have everything done in those first few hours of the day and then have the rest of the day to do whatever we need to. Um, because we do do a lot of other things off the homestead and things like that. But time management was the biggest thing because you think you go into this and it's like slow living and, you know, really you have all this time to dedicate to everything. And it's not, it's Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not that way. And that's a lot of things we had a, realization is um like you said time management is key when it time is money time mm-hmm. is money and we just decided okay we're gonna get up first thing in the morning 5 a.m that's what we decided on 5 a.m we're gonna have everything done by 8 a.m and then we also decided 5 p.m and everything's gonna be done by this so we can have family time at the end of the night we can do all these things while still managing our time and not letting the farm take 
all of our hours of our day. Mm-hmm. Um, thing that it doesn't some days, but I don't time. I, I, it's hard for me to talk on time management because it's something we're all still working on mm-hmm. and really will always be working on, in my opinion, because that's just me. <laughs> well, it's such so. an evolving process. I feel like, especially when you have a family, like as your son gets older, like the priorities will change and his schedule will change and all that kind of stuff that you have to think about too. Do you yes. ever have to do it by yourself? Like is Trevor ever, I don't know what yeah. kind of a firefighter he is. But. So Trevor goes to work um, for two days and then is home for four days. Okay. So those two days I am left to do it myself. But luckily now that it was really hard at the first when Everest was much younger and wasn't able to help or, you know, walk or do, do the things that you kind of would need. Mm-hmm. And so it really was stressful for me to have him out there just also due to the fact that Helen didn't like him. And mm-hmm. at one point, try, you know, almost kicked him. And that was the end of that. I'm like, no more. He's not being out there while we milk. I just was not, not worth the risk. So asking for help from family was a big thing for me, you know, having them watch him if I needed it. So that like mostly in the evenings, it was hard because, you know, Trevor's at work, I'm home alone. He's awake and you don't want him napping at that time of night, but just is asking for help as well. But yeah, just the seasons of life. Now that he's getting older, it's much easier. He can be out there and he's helping a lot more. He's, he's more receptive and, and more teachable. And that's been a really fun evolution to see and really makes your mom heart happy when he's out there fresh bellies and ready to, you know, like helping clean the milker and things like that really has been a huge change too. And, and like you said, it's just going to change over time. And I think it's, you just have to adapt as you go through time on what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah, for sure. Well, I love what you said about like, not not necessarily 50 50 but each of you putting in equal effort yes um, I struggled with that so much and my I feel like my husband and I both to an extent still struggle with it because we like have a little bit different priorities for our farm like I'm more on the homesteading side he's more like a traditional cow calf guy and that's what yeah. he prioritizes and we have four kids under six years old. So most of my life has to this point been like, well, I can't go help you outside right now because I can't leave the kids alone inside or someone will not be okay when I get back inside. Yes. Um, and that's been so hard for me to realize, but coming to that kind of like understanding that it's going to evolve over time. And right now, 50-50 does look more like very separate roles for us. Like I'm inside with the kids a lot more. He's outside doing the things that he needs to get done. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily get to help with that, but I will someday. <laughs> yes. And that's what I have to remind myself because there was a time where I had to let Trevor go milk and I'm really hands-on mm-hmm. and I'm like, I just want to be out there helping. I don't want, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be out there. And I had to stay in the house and watch Everest. And that was really a struggle for me for a long time, actually, because because it is such a joint thing for him and I, and, and our, you know, operation looks a little different, but it is something you have to like, okay, come to terms with, okay, this is this season of life. And this is what I have to embrace at this moment in time. Like I get to be in here with my child while my husband's out milking my cow, you know, milking the cow. And now it's like, okay, now we can go out and milk as a family 
And then hopefully as time goes on, we can teach him that, okay, now Everest gets to be out there and milk the cow. And, but yeah, really sitting back and looking like, okay, it's not like this. It's not going to be like this forever. Hmm. And really embracing that and just, you know, realizing it will evolve. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So it might look different to everybody, but if you can realize that, then I think you'll, it makes it easier. Yeah. And I think for me me too, what kind of helped me too was like learning over time to not think about what I'm missing out on, but like the, that I can take pride in the role that I'm playing, even if it's not what I thought it would be, or that I feel like kind of like a burden sometimes like, Oh, I'm not doing the work. Like, yes, that doesn't always, that's not always what the work looks like, but yeah, well, even, you know, the way I have to look at it too, it's like, okay, something is happening outside. We're moving forward. If I'm in here helping Everest, you know, Trevor's out there, he's doing something to move and progress us forward. And by watching our son, that is, that is helpful in and of itself because it's sometimes hard to have kids out while you're helping. Right. And so it really takes a lot to think about how you look at it. Like, you're helping no matter what, no matter what you're doing, you're doing something, whether you're watching a kid or doing dishes. I don't know. It's, yeah, <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of uh, people and moms out there know what we mean. Yeah. You know, you just have to really embrace that and realize you are doing so much more than you realize for the operation by just doing, making food or. Right. Right. Yeah, all of the roles matter so much, even if it feels like not as important. <laughs> yes, yes, um, very much. Okay, well, let's kind of jump in then to what building your milk parlor. I, that's how what I call it. Is that what you guys call it? Milk barn? We call it the milk barn. There's the parlor and the processing room. I It depends on the day what I end up calling it. Yeah. So, but. Um, but yeah, building that and then jumping from one cow to two cows. How's that been? What did that look like for you guys? Okay. So starting off with the milk barn. Um, so after having milked through the winter in our little Kwanzaa hut and being freezing cold and just miserable, um, like we said, we were like, at that point, we really didn't have a whole lot of money to get going. And luckily my dad had purchased a sawmill and we were able to utilize that in the building of the barn quite That's a bit. So cool. Like. I've loved, I loved watching those videos. I was like, this is just awesome that you get to see it all the way from the beginning. (laughs) Yes, it was, it was absolutely, I wish I would have documented more of the building process. I was still like, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to post a lot of it on TikTok or anything like that. So I hadn't really, I videoed what I could, Yeah. but it was fun to be able to build the building and document it and then use the sawmill to, we did basically every, all of the exterior with that sawmill. And at that point, we hadn't really decided that we were going to go full on and build the parlor. And, you know, we were just going to build a shed to milk in a little bit enclosed and warmer. But then we found a really awesome opportunity to purchase, you know, a bunch of the fridges and tables and sinks from a restaurant that had just opened during COVID and doesn't wasn't able to survive. And we got a killer deal on it. and that was kind of our motivating factor. Like, Hey, we have this, we're going to just do it. So we looked into what it would take to be a grade A dairy and didn't go quite to that extent because at that point we weren't, we're like, we're not going to go that far, but let's have that in mind. 
So we did all of it. We did the drains. We did the concrete work ourselves, the finished concrete work. And if you look on our TikTok, you know, we have a barn build playlist and all of it's in there. Mm-hmm. But we did all of it ourselves. We The only thing we contracted out was the insulation, the spray foam insulation. And it was just, it was really fun to be able to build it and know what we were working for and working towards and to then have it done just in time for Helen to calve and be able to start milking in, you know, I think it was October she calved to have a warm building to milk in and just everything. It was really a dream come true. It was a lot of work and a lot of stress, but it has been a big, big blessing. Um, and I know not everybody is going to be able to do that. Um, we were very fortunate in that we were able to just pay for it as we went. And that's something that's important when you're doing your homestead is make sure that you're not going crazy into debt to start this. But um, yeah, and then having the milk parlor really made it a lot easier to then decide, okay, I think we're ready for a second cow. Yeah. You know, we'd gotten Helen down to a pretty good system where we could get in and out of there in under an hour through milking, cleaning up and everything. And we're like, why not add a second cow? We've got a lot of people who are wanting our raw milk. And in Utah, um, you can sell your raw milk on your farm, but you can also do a herd share as well, which is just, you basically buy a share of a cow and you kind of get reap the rewards. You're essentially paying that farmer to take care of that part of your cow yeah, and you'll get the milk in return. Right. So once we started getting more interest in that and seeing that people are really, really wanting to see where their food is coming from. And, and you know, it's when we first started all this, it was for one reason. Now it's really like, you can see where your food is coming from, what exactly is happening on the farm. And that's what kind of pushed us to get, or to get Ruth. And we had put it off for a long time. I had, because I still wasn't ready for that commitment. It's a big commitment. Yeah. And finally we, my dad called me up and he's like, Hey, I found a guy who's selling a bunch of cows and it's a really good price. And they're A2A2, which is, you know, if you're, if you're familiar with milk and raw milk, it's what makes it easier for people to digest the A2A2 beta protein or beta casing protein, whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we were like, yes, this is exactly what we wanted. And we drove up there the next day and decided, yeah, we're going to get another cow. And he was the kind at first was really standoffish, but once he realized we had a milk cow and things like that, he was the most open and warm person you'll ever meet and took us and showed us his entire he his entire raw milk dairy that he's selling his raw milk currently out of and it was just this inspirational like as a kid going on a field trip it was like my dreams all came true in that trip like it was it's kind of corny to say but I absolutely loved it it just it really makes you think about where we could go from here yeah. And Ruth, just having Ruth and how easy it's been of a transition from one to two, it makes you think about, okay, now I can get a third and a fourth and a fifth <laughs> and a sixth. You know, it just, it really has been, a, it's been an awesome transition and and just evolution of the whole thing. And going from Daisy to where we are with two, Ruth and Helen, and it's been, it's been fun. 
Yeah, well, it's been we fun to watch. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Talk and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> Thank you. I, I love it. I love sharing our journey. It's been a really fun process. Um, a lot of self-growth in all of it. And just, it's been amazing. Just this whole ball of like, amazingness I don't know how else to explain it so yeah well and your guys's barn is beautiful like when I every time you do a video of like going to milk the girls in the morning I'm just like oh that stanchion and that step up there and it just it just looks all perfect <laughs> yes we, but, and it you know we we built that stanchion we're like oh we're not sure if we're gonna get one or two but now we might have to revamp things if I don't yeah. know we're not sure but yeah, it's I we appreciate that. We've we put a lot of heart and you know, blood, sweat and tears into that barn and yeah. to hear people say that really is is an awesome feeling, but thank you. Yeah. Well, it's really cool. Um when you I guess when you started doing the raw milk sales to other folks, um were you doing that at all? I think you were doing that with Helen. And then you just mm-hmm. have expanded with Ruth, right? Correct. How did that kind of go? Or what did that look like for you guys? Um, and then kind of follow-up question, is that just in your local area? Or do you guys live like near a larger town? Or what kind of a population do you guys have there? So in our little town, we're literally like, I mean, we're it's growing. But it's it was 200 people at one point. Right? <laughs> so a lot of what we've been doing is we've been selling like to our family, our family gets a lot of it. Um, but also a lot of the people at the fire department and just word of mouth, it started to spread. So where my husband works is about an hour and a half away from us up North, closer to Salt Lake city. Mm-hmm. Um, he works in American fork and a lot of the guys at the fire department started really enjoying it Cause he would take it to work for himself and they started to drink it and they're like, Oh, this is actually really good. <laughs> and, you know, just from their word of mouth. And so we just have a bunch of friends that have friends and everybody, you know, when my husband goes up to work, he'll take our big, you know, electric cooler with him and, and haul up 10 gallons of milk to deliver to everybody. You know, we're still not as big as we'd like when we haul up there, but just word of mouth. And so about an hour and a half away from the city. So if you're, in a smaller area, it might not work as well. I mean, there's, we actually live right near, I don't know if you know Redmond Minerals. I don't. Redmond uh, Agriculture. Um, a lot of people know it for their mineral. I don't know how else okay. to explain it. We live not too far from there and they actually have their own raw milk dairy as well. Okay. So they kind of supply what is down here, but we're slowly getting more and more interest in our little local community on, on our raw milk so which is so cool then that you can just like supply them with something that they otherwise would have to go to the grocery store and get and hope it's there yeah and hope yeah and not pay a right with raw milk you do pay a little bit more just because you are going direct to the farmer right but it is so worth it because you know exactly what's going into your milk how the cows are being treated just everything in that regard and that transparency for people is a huge comfort for them Mm -hmm. So, well, I didn't know, like before I started reading more about raw milk, I didn't understand how different it is just like dietary wise. Mm -hmm. Um, and like some of the benefits of that, that is like a super cool added benefit. Yeah. Yep. You, it comes direct from the cow. You have all your good 
probiotic, everything is in it. And it's not been, you know, brought up to that pasteurization temperature. And yeah, I didn't realize how many people didn't know the difference or what homogenization is or anything like that. So, yeah. Did you guys have any trouble when you kind of switched over to drinking raw milk with digesting it or did it? I, you know, we didn't really, we, what, when you first start drinking raw milk, you definitely want to take it slow and just slowly introduce it to your, your gut biome. And, you know, if you just drink it a little bit each day, it slowly kind of transforms your gut biome. And then it really is just super beneficial. We, a lot of people don't like the idea of this, but we give it to our two-year-old. And at one years old, he was drinking raw milk. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just struggling and not getting the nutrition he needed, but he was able to drink that raw milk and it got him through because he just didn't like to eat and mm-hmm. he needed something. And yeah. the raw milk really pulled through and, and gave him all of everything that you would need. I mean, it's feeding a calf, right? A calf yeah. is going to survive off that raw milk. Why would a human not be able to to survive off of it. So, but yeah, some people can have a hard time transitioning over, but if they take it slow, then it really is, is fine once they get past that point. So, and if people are lactose intolerant and there's a different, we don't need to get into that right now, but (laughs) yes, if you are curious about the differences, definitely look into it because the, the different the dietary differences in raw milk and the kind of milk you would get at the grocery store are vast so very vast yes (laughs) um I've been looking into it we've been talking about getting a milk cow for probably close to a year now and the timing just hasn't been right yet but I I have a family full of very picky eaters um and so I've been started buying cream line milk Um, from a dairy that bottles it in glass jars not too far from us it just to kind of like start being like try this and see how that goes I'm like because I was like gung-ho like we're buying a milk cow tomorrow until I was like what if nobody drinks it except me that's gonna be a problem (laughs) (laughs) oh but I'm really excited when we do take that jump and watching your story kind of unfold and how you guys have grown has just been so motivational for me to make it seem more manageable. Cause I was very worried kind of about the time management piece of being able to do it in the morning before work and before the kids go to daycare and all that stuff. But you make it seem so like doable the way you guys talk about it. And I know it's hard work, but it like just seeing how you guys have done it, it makes it a lot more easier to like process and imagine how it would fit into our lifestyle too. Yes. And that was, that's probably the biggest thing is, um, imagine imagining it and imagine what it would be like, like in the mornings when you're out doing your chores, what chores you already have, if you're still on the fence about it, like that was the biggest thing too, is imagining, okay, what will it feel like if I have to do this every single morning? Will I absolutely hate my life or will I be able to make it work? And it just, it really has to do with mindset. And if you get out there and start to, you know, once you enjoy it, it's not work. It it isn't. And I know that sounds, everybody says that, but I'm glad that, you know, we can motivate other people and make it, you know, it is doable. It is so doable. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, like you said, manage your time and be, get that scheduled down and you're good to go. Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about the milk cows. Tell us a little bit. I know you've got the, the Cooney Cooney pigs. 
the meat bird, meat birds and laying hens, right? Tell us a little bit more Correct. about the other stuff you guys have. So we, we started with the laying hens and we, we've got a flock about, I think we have 30 or so right now. We had probably close to 75, but they all got taken out by a predator when we first moved them to their new coop location. Oh, so we've had to rebuild from that. But right now we're just have a small flock and slowly just rebuilding it as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do sell our eggs just to, you know, people who buy our raw milk as well. Um, but we also do the pasture-aged chickens, the meat chickens, which was something that was very foreign to me when, you know, a few years ago, like, what? You, you know, you, you know, people do it, but you don't realize what goes into it until you're doing it yourself. Right. But we had just watched a bunch of YouTube videos and we're like, let's do it. You know, we just ordered them that night. Kind of like you were ready to order, you know, order your milk cow. No, (laughs) don't get your milk cow. And we're like, okay, I guess we're doing it. And we started with 25 Cornish cross meat chickens just in our Kwanzaa in the middle of winter, which was not smart. Uh, we ended like up probably up in December, so it was more like October, something like that. But it really was a fun process, and to be able to then, at the end of the process, we pro- butchered them ourselves. We did all of it ourselves, and to see your freezer full of meat birds was the best feeling in the entire world. Yeah. And to know that you did it, raised it from babies to yeah. in the pro- in, in the freezer. And we realized like, Hey, not a lot of people can do this or want to do this or have the time to do this. Mm -hmm. So we're like, let's up it. Let's do a hundred next time. (laughs) So we did a hundred and we, you know, we didn't get them all sold. And and I don't know if other people do or not, but we didn't get them all sold. But we assumed we were like, you know what, if anything, we have meat in the freezer for us, you know, that we raised a steer. We had, you know, meat in our freezer from our year we're like let's complete it with some chicken and you know we did have a lot of people buy it and it's been an awesome process it's probably taken a backseat to our raw milk but it's still one of the things that we love doing and are still going to do in the future very cool so I don't know what else you'd want to know about them um yeah I was curious if you guys sold any um and mm -hmm. how that had gone that's I know kind of like selling whole chickens we've we've done meat birds in the past too we don't we haven't been doing any recently because we took down the shed that we were doing them in anyway um but yeah the whole bird I feel like is a hard sale sell sometimes I don't know if that was your experience as well it is a lot of people when they first asked us they were like do you piece them out what do you do and at that point we hadn't been piecing them out because like we've talked about time is money and piecing out chickens can be type quite time consuming yeah. <laughs> and just packaging them and everything that goes into it. Uh, I'm not saying we won't do it in the future, but that's what people were asking for. And we're like, well, we're just doing the whole bird at this point. And, mm-hmm. you know, basically take it or leave it kind of a, yeah. you know, if you, if, and people did start to, we had a couple come down and they bought 25 from us just oh, nice. from Salt Lake. They're like, we want, you know, they kind of, it was right when the stores were basically bare. Yeah. Like, we want we have a storage and and find somebody who raises them so that we know we can come back to you and so we did sell quite a few we sold a few to our family all of our family members bought a bunch and whether that was to support us or you know because they saw the value in that but it's just slowly growing it's a slow process for us and I like to take things very slow 
I get in my head a lot about things. So I want to make sure we're good and solid on a lot of different fronts. Um, But in Utah, you can sell, I think it's under a thousand birds and you can produce and process them on your farm and it be legal. Mm -hmm. I know you can't ship them anywhere because it's not USDA inspected facility, but um, so far it's been an awesome little project. Um, It hasn't been on the forefront of our thing, but but it's still been a really fun thing to learn and, and, and grow from. Yeah. Do you guys have the, um, the finger? Yeah, we have a chicken okay. plucker. Yep. <laughs> we, we bought a chicken plucker right off the bat. We're like, if we're doing 25 birds, I'm not sitting out there in the middle of December plucking chickens. Right. Um, and it was right when we were starting to build our barn as well. Um, right. in some of my videos, you can actually see the barn being built in the back, but oh, cool. it, uh, was one of those things. It's like, we're just going to do it. We're just going to, but I do know if you are starting out with just meat chickens, um, a lot of people rent them out just on like your local little listings. Like ours is KSL and people rent them out for like 40 bucks a day or something like that. So if that's something people are interested in, definitely check those local websites. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that. We had a friend that had one that brought brought it over when we um did it we did it one time without that and oh my gosh it was a world of difference having that (laughs) Uh, yeah I can only imagine yeah so um it's definitely a time saver (laughs) yeah so it's money right (laughs) I know (laughs) time is money um and then the pigs tell me more about the pigs how you guys got started with them and you guys are feeding them the some of the excess milk still or not anymore Yep. So we, I mean, we still don't get all of our milk sold every, you know, that's something we're still working on. We're still small, but what excess we do have, we'll take and skim the cream. And then for food storage for ourselves, we'll just make butter and then feed the skim milk to the pigs. And that's, we got those pigs specifically for that reason. Um, but we also had, um, our cousin, my cousin runs, they own a big pumpkin operation and squash operation throughout Utah and Nevada. And they have a lot of excess at the end of the year. And so we were able to get quite a few totes full of those pumpkins and squash and figured we could feed that to the pigs as well. So it was, you're taking what is they're they're taking what is trashed essentially, or not good anymore. Mm-hmm. And converting that into some delicious bacon. Yeah. And so that was kind of what our intentions with that. Um, we actually have all of these sold, the pigs that we're raising. Oh, nice. um, they're sold already so that we can, when they get to the right age, they'll be processed and whatnot. So it's kind of fun to be able to feed them with the excess raw milk and excess squash and pumpkins. And they do get a little grain. But yeah, that was the biggest reason we got them. Yeah. That's kind of what I've been thinking about too. And then once I don't, I don't know where I saw it originally, but then once I like started thinking about doing pigs for excess raw milk, then I saw all these people doing it. I was like, Oh, well, when I find these people it's, sooner. <laughs> it's funny how you, once you start, you're like, Oh, I think I have this good idea. And you're like, Oh, it's literally yeah. everyone does that. Everybody's doing it. But, yeah. Yeah. How did you guys pick the breed that you went with? So we, I, this is the funny thing. I, my husband has done all the research on the pigs and had wanted them for quite a while. Hmm. Like I said, I'm like, let's pick one project, master it, and we'll move on. Uh-huh. And he's like, let's just do it all now and <laughs> figure it out as we go. And I'm like, okay. 
so it took a while for me to get it in my head that, okay, we could do pigs, but what actually kind of flipped it for me is our neighbor who we has a milk cow as well, um, asked us to help milk. And while we were milking and watching their farm, they've got a couple cuny cuny pigs and they were the cutest things and just so fun. Like they would run out to the field and they would just put them in the pasture with their milk cow while they grazed throughout the day. And it was just like, Oh, they're actually really fun yeah. and kind of cute. So, I'm like, okay. <laughs> And the funny thing is our neighbor across town raises Cooney Cooney pigs. So she gave us a killer deal on them. And, oh, cool. you know, it was just kind of fun to, it, it's kind of fun to see everybody in our small little town, you know, start to do all this stuff and be able to provide one another with it. But that's yeah. really what switched in my brain is seeing them up there in at this other farm and it was like okay I think I can do this I think I can manage so we got it and we got two of them to start with uh Lucy and Ethel and then we got a couple more after that because my you know a bunch of people are like oh you got pigs we're like well we'd be happy to raise them for you if you want us to so we got those sold before we even bought them so that's so cool so yes yep I feel like it, a lot of the things that you talk about, I'm like, that just could have been pulled straight from my heart. So <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. amazing how I'm finding like a lot of people on TikTok. It's almost like you're seeing a copy of yourself, but in a different <laughs> form. Yeah. Like you're like, I resonate with you. Like, I feel like we could be really good friends. Like we have all the same ideas and it's just, yeah. it's interesting how you feel like you're almost talking to yourself in some aspects of it. <laughs> it's so cool. It's fun. It's cool that like TikTok side tangent, but how TikTok's algorithm is just so nuts that it finds people for to show you that are like, here's someone like you. Presented. Yes. Um, yes. It is so true which you wouldn't like typically just meet day to day in everyday life. So it's cool. Yeah. Nope. I love it. It's opened up a whole new world for me and just in socializing. It sounds silly, but Same. it, Same. uh, I, you know, I was a recluse at one point, basically I was social anxiety to the core, like bad. And really? through this silly little app has opened up an entire world for me. And it's, been wonderful. Otherwise I wouldn't have met a lot of people like you and just so many amazing people. It's really cool. It, and I love, I love how open people are. Um, I feel like more so than like on other social media apps, I just know oh, yeah. like what they're doing and why they do it that way. And it's just really cool. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. Well, and speaking of that, I guess like you share a lot of your life online, what's been the most surprising or kind of interesting thing that people have received that with or said back to you after you post stuff oh and and it took a lot for me to start posting because I am like so self-critical it's like I don't want people to criticize what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and that's um been hard for me but I think the biggest surprise to me is how I know I don't want to even get into the realm of this but it starts with a v and e ends with an egan's mm-hmm. if you can you're asked that. And I don't want to go into that too much, but they're quite, they can be, I think that's been the hardest thing for me is just how critical they can be of everything that you're doing when you yourself think you're doing the most possible to make the life, the best life for these animals. I think being, having other people criticize just how you do things has probably been the hardest and most surprising thing, but it is, it was expected to some extent, Mm -hmm. but, um, 
but also that's on the negative side, but sharing your life online also, like you talked about has been really surprising how many people appreciate what you're doing mm-hmm. and are open to let you know that how much they appreciate like what you're doing. And, and that's been a really big comfort for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that's, I don't know. That It's kind of a hard one for me. Yeah, I feel that too. I think like you mentioned that it's hard to put some of that stuff out there because you don't know how it's going to be perceived. And it sounds like you are very similar to me and that you take like a lot of personal responsibility for like giving your animals a good situation and a place to thrive and to have someone point out something that you're they're like, well, you didn't do this. It's like, Oh man, should I be doing that? Like, you know, (laughs) that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and you're like, Oh man, I should have, it was blatantly obvious. I should have done the research. I should have known. Right, right. It really does open you up to, and this is where self growth comes in. If that's the right word, you really have to take that and make it constructive criticism versus to let it, you know, eat you to the core. Like if, Two years ago, I probably would have taken that so personally, I would have just stopped posting. Mm. But you have to look at it differently in that, I guess, we're doing our best and we're all learning and we're all just doing what we can. Mm-hmm. So you can't take it personally, but yeah, everybody has their own opinions and they're entitled to that. Yeah, very true. Very true. So, yeah, kind of a, you do the best you can and then when you know better, you do better. Yes. Yep. Well, um, one other question I had, and you kind of just touched on it a little bit um, with the financial aspect of like knowing that like with the barn, you guys were able to pay for that as you went. Um, But how do you guys know when's the right time for you, either just like time wise or financial wise to take on a new project or grow to the next level? How do you kind of evaluate that? So for instance, with, with Ruth and Helen, you know, you have to sit down and look, actually do the numbers. And I know a lot of people don't like to do that. That's the hardest part. And I think that's where people get into trouble. They're like, let's just go for it. And I'm not saying we haven't done it. Um, but you really have to sit down and look at the numbers and what it's going to cost you to do everything. And if it's realistic, like, okay, you know, we, bought this cow. She costs so much, you know, how much is she going to cost per month to feed? And I mean, a lot of people in ag know what they need to do to figure out whether they're going to be profitable or not in that. So I think for us, it was where we're at in our life and what it's going to look like for the next few years. And if that's something that's doable in that amount of time, and are they going to be able to pay for themselves? Is that project going to be able to pay for itself, whether it be right up front, you know, or over time, will it eventually become profitable or is it going to be a hobby type Mm -hmm. thing? I think that's the biggest thing for us is, you know, we just had to sit down and say, okay, is this something we want to do? Is this going to be profitable? And really looked hard at the numbers. And so it's a combination of both. Honestly, you really have to know if you have the time, because if you're going to take on a new project, you need to make sure that you're dedicating the time for that. So it's just not going to the wayside and yeah. you're losing money in that sense. Because a lot of people get excited about a project and are all pumped and motivated. And then they realize, oh, it, it isn't what I thought it was. And then it just kind of ends up being 
more of a stressor than anything, but if you really go into it thinking forward, um, you know, and setting the goals and all of that kind of stuff, but doing the numbers is the biggest thing I would say for us. Mm -hmm. And if it's projected to be profitable, um, you know, just different things like that. I'm, I'm the worst possible person to ask about finances, but that's what we do. And it's worked out so far. Yeah. Well, and I feel like everything with homesteading is an investment. Like it's an investment of time and it's an investment financially. And when I look around the homesteading community, I feel like there's a lot of pressure. And maybe that's like just my perception, but there's a lot of pressure to like do everything. Like you're not a real homesteader if you're not canning your own food if you're not drinking raw milk and making your own bread and you have pigs and chickens and it's just like hard to decide when it's enough like this is the cap this is the line where we can do things and then it's not time for more yet you know I don't know if you experienced that at all no like a lot of people get caught up in the whole homesteading thing and the term that it I don't know how you would even say that but Um, It is hard to know and the pressure to feel like you have to have every single animal to be a homesteader Mm -hmm. when that's farthest from the truth. You're a homesteader. If you're, you know, baking your own bread, if you're, if you're doing a few things here and there that you do what is manageable for you. Right. Because not everybody's situation is the same. You know, a lot of people work jobs off the farm or off their property, whatever it may be. And I think you do feel that pressure to have everything all at once too, to be a part of the club mm-hmm. and that's not the truth and I wish people didn't feel that way yeah. not say I felt that way for sure mm-hmm. you know but I was pretty like no I am only doing this now let's manage <laughs> this project and then we'll move on yeah we'll eventually get there it's just it's it's a the long burn you've got you know you've got to take it for your situation I don't even know what I was saying. See, no, you're fine. I think like financially, I'm the same as you in like, I'm like, okay, just one at a time. We're going to make sure this is profitable before we move on. But then in my head, I'm like, oh, but it'd be so much more efficient if we also had the pigs and we also had this. And then it's like a whole snowball effect of, oh my gosh, now we have this whole situation that I cannot manage or I'm not prepared to manage at this point yet. (laughs) Well, and that's where I, you know, I'm grateful that we did it how we've done it and, you know, just slowly over time accumulated, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, I feel like we're ready. Let's grab these and then just go full, full send or head first, whatever you want to say. But you do feel like you have to have everything right off the bat. And I don't, some people can manage that, but I, I feel like taking one thing at a time is the best way because then you're doing more for that animal or project. You know, you can really dig in and learn about each animal and everything that they require so that you're giving them the life that they need and the nutrition that they need and everything that they would need. So I, I feel that, um, but everybody does it different ways. That's the thing is, you know, some people get it all at once and others do it one at a time, but we all end up in the same place eventually. True. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, if you're here for the long, you know, the long haul, you, God, I feel like I'm being music right now. No. <laughs> all, singing all of his lyrics. I love his music. Love it. Love it. <laughs> you, however you 
say his name, but you know, we all eventually end up somewhere or where we want to get. It's just, you know, we all take different roads to get there and you got to remember that. And that's something that I wish more people would think about. Yeah. Well, hearing you just talk about this and thank you for being so willing to take time today to share your story. It's so inspirational to me. And I think a lot of the folks who follow along on the podcast will find it similarly inspirational. Um, where can people find you to learn more about what you're doing and what's next for you? Um, so we do currently post a majority of our content on TikTok. Um, and you can just find us with the handle Everest Acres. Um, and I do think I sent you the link for that. So hopefully, even though I'm a procrastinator, but so you can find us on TikTok. You can also find us on YouTube where we've been posting a little bit more recently. We haven't been posting as much, but we would love for people to us, people to go follow us on YouTube. And it's just Everest Acres Homestead as well. Um, we don't have a website yet. We're still working on it currently. That's probably, you know, the last thing that we need to get done. Um, and the next biggest thing for us is I think just expect more, uh, you know, raw milk stuff coming your way. You know, I, we got two, so, you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah. That's awesome. So cool. So, well, the last, very last question I have for you then is, um, the one I ask all of my podcast guests and what is your favorite tradition on your farm homestead, um, that you enjoy or hope other people take from you kind of what do you want to pass on to other people about the lifestyle so i think my biggest i thing i love is just spending the time with the family taking the the slow moments and just really really soaking those in and that creates the tradition you know we absolutely love taking everest out to gather eggs but really if you're going to be doing this and my favorite is just really embracing those small moments um because life can get busy so i don't know if that's to me that's my favorite part about the homestead is just how the life you're building you have to realize what an amazing thing that you're doing and going to be teaching your kids and passing it down and yeah yeah I I like you like you said earlier it's not slow living but you have to enjoy the moments that are slow that's yes that's what makes it special yes well thank you again so much Tara for being on the podcast I can't wait to share this with folks well thank you for having me I'm absolutely honored to be here with you so Do you know someone building their ag legacy or with stories of yesteryear on the farm that need to be shared? Please let us know or help them apply to be a guest on the show at farmingonpurpose.com guest. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the show on Apple Podcasts or give us a share on social media. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, at, at Farming on Purpose on all social media. And let us know what topics you want to hear more about.